evening and turn in your Bibles, please, to 1 Kings chapter 22 as we continue our study through Kings. 1 Kings chapter 22, we'll work through verses 1 through 40, but in the interest of time now we will read beginning at verse 29. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead, and the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of his chariot, saying, Fight with no one small or great, but only with the king of Israel. So it was when the captains of the chariot saw Jehoshaphat that they said, Surely it is the king of Israel. Therefore they turned aside to fight against him, and Jehoshaphat cried out. And it happened when the captains of the chariot saw that it was not the king of Israel, that they turned back from pursuing him. Now a certain man drew a bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. So he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn around and take me out of the battle, for I am wounded. The battle increased that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians and died at evening. The blood ran out from the wound onto the floor of the chariot. Then as the sun was going down, a shout went throughout the army, saying, Every man to his city and every man to his own country. So the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria. Then someone washed the chariot at a pool in Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood while the harlots bathed. According to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken, and may God add his richest blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Again, our Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that you have spoken to us, and we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would come and speak to us, that we would hear the voice of our good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, and hearing his voice that we, his sheep, would know him and follow him and offer our hearts to him promptly and sincerely in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated, please. The scripture cannot be broken. That title is taken from the words of Jesus in John 10, 35. The scripture cannot be broken. Of course, it does not mean that we cannot break scripture in the sense of disobeying it. As far as that goes, scripture is broken every day, every second. It's broken far more than it's kept. But Jesus was saying that the Scripture is true. It it cannot be changed and it cannot be frustrated. What it says is true and what it says will happen will happen. Scripture cannot be broken. On May 31st, 1957, the great motion picture director Cecil B. 
DeMille gave the commencement address at Brigham Young University. At that time, his epic, The Ten Commandments, was the most lucrative movie the year before. In his address, his commencement address on the subject of the Ten Commandments and you, DeMille said, quote, we cannot break the Ten Commandments. We can only break ourselves against them. And that exactly sums up the life of King Ahab. This man tried as hard as he could with every fiber of his being to break God's law, to ignore, to disrespect and trample on God's holy word. He broke it every minute of every day. He broke it, but he couldn't beat it. He couldn't change it. He could not make God's word come untrue. And in the end, Ahab only broke himself against the word of God. Scripture cannot be broken. And while that was bad news for Ahab and bad news for all who refused to come under the authority of the Word of God, it is good news for all of you who love the Word of God. Now let's get in this passage. First, in this passage, we see the Word of God twisted. Look at verse 1. Now three years passed without war between Syria and Israel. Then it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went down to visit the king of Israel. And the king said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth and Gilead is ours? But we hesitate to take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. So he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to fight at Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are. My people is your people. My horses is your horses. You see the scene. Ahab, he's king of the northern kingdom. Israel, he wants to go and reclaim Ramoth Gilead from the Syrians. And he wants Jehoshaphat, king of the southern kingdom, Judah, to bring his forces and go along. Now, it's most likely that Ahab was more interested in revenue than in preserving the inheritance of the promised land. You can ask Naboth how much Ahab cares about the Lord's inheritance. But Ramoth Gilead stood at the crossroads of two major trading routes, the north-south and the east-west routes cross there. There was a lot of tax revenue to be collected at that major junction. And Jehoshaphat, who seems here to have cordial relations with his northern neighbor, says, my army is yours. Yes, we'll help you. Go take that city. But then 
Jehoshaphat suggests something that was foreign to Ahab's thinking. Look at verse 5. Also, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Please inquire for the word of the Lord today. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to fight, or shall I refrain? So they said, Go up, for the Lord will deliver it in the hand of the king. Now these 400 prophets, they're not the 400 priests of Baal that Ahab had slaughtered. Nor are they the prophets of the groves. These idolatrous prophets Jezebel had imported. No, these at least on the surface, claim to be prophets of the Lord, Jehovah God. When Jehoshaphat asked to inquire of the Lord, Ahab brings out 400 prophets of Jehovah who tell him exactly what he wants to hear. Go on, king, you can win, you can win. Now you got to love Jehoshaphat's response. Look at verse 7. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there still not a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? Ahab, you got a real prophet around here anywhere? Jehoshaphat recognizes what Ahab has on his hands. Peace. Peace. But there is no peace. Lord Jesus says, beware false prophets. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. The apostle Paul said to Timothy, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. That's exactly what Ahab has done. He has accumulated at least 400 people who will suit his own desires and tell him whatever he wants to hear. It's always interested me over the years how how people want me to agree with them. It's fascinating. I hear the words. Don't you agree? Or don't you think? Constantly. Not at home. I never hear those words at home. Whether it's politics or, or current events or tricky things, People want to hear me say it's okay for them to be angry and bitter. Or it's okay for them to break their vows. Or it's okay for them to be in some sort of relationship. And I have always wondered... Why do you feel the need for me to agree with you? 
And then when I was studying this passage, it hit me. People want to hear a preacher say, it's okay. And I'm a preacher. It's so tempting to be a false prophet. We tend to measure success by how much we are loved. I want people to like me. I want you to like me. The easiest way to get people to like you is tell them what they want to hear. I'm sure Ahab treated his false prophets well. I'm sure he loved them. They made a good living. Twisting the word of God. But scripture cannot be broken. Now, there's something very important here. Look at verse 10. The king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, having put on their robes, sat each on his throne at a threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets prophesied before them. Now Zedekiah, the son of Canana, had made horns of iron for himself, and he said, Thus says the Lord, With these you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophets prophesied so saying go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper the Lord will deliver it in the king's hand you, you see the image there here are the kings at court with all these prophets appearing assembled before the king and this one particular prophet he brings in these iron horns and says, you will destroy the Syrians with these. And all the prophets say, go on, you'll win. Now, now you hold on to that picture of the kings at court with all these prophets. And then look down at verse 19. Then Micaiah, that's the real prophet, said, therefore hear the word of the Lord, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will persuade Ahab to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one spoke in this manner and another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, In what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, You shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you. You see what's really going on? The real king, the heavenly court, and just as the false prophets presented themselves before Ahab (coughs) in his court, So these spirits presented themselves before God in the heavenly court. And and like Zedekiah with his golden horns, one particular spirit comes forth. 
The Lord wants the spirits to entice Ahab into battle. This spirit says he will lure Ahab by lying, being a lying spirit in the mouths of his prophets. This is the explanation of these 400 prophets and Zedekiah telling Ahab he can win. Now maybe this strikes us as strange that the Lord would send a lying spirit to entice Ahab into a battle he will not win. We know God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. But the Lord here is giving Ahab over to what he wants. Read the first chapter of Romans. How does God reveal his wrath against wickedness? He gives people over. He turns them over to what they want. And it destroys them. That's his judgment. Now Jehovah tells Ahab the truth. He tells him the plain truth. We'll see. But Ahab hates the truth. And so... God gives Ahab what he wants. Today we would say Ahab lived in a bubble or an echo chamber. It's so easy not to listen to the other side of an issue or a counterpoint. And when you surround yourself with people who think exactly like you do and say what you like to hear and read only things or listen to people that only reinforce your assumptions, that's an echo chamber or what today they call a bubble. And that's what happened to King Ahab. He lived in a bubble. And the thing is, it's comfortable in a bubble. You can get yourself into a bubble, an echo chamber, where you are shielded from the truth and scrutiny of God's word. And I guarantee if you can get yourself shielded from the Word of God, that will be the most comfortable place you can ever be. But it's the place of judgment. The Scripture cannot be broken. So we see the word of God twisted. Secondly, in this passage, we see the word of God despised. Look at verse 8. So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There's still one man, Micaiah, the son of Imla, by whom we may inquire the Lord, but I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say such things. Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, Bring Micaiah, the son of Imla, quickly. Ahab knows the truth. He knows who will tell him the truth. 
But he says, I hate him. <coughs> he never says anything nice about me. He called Elijah, you remember, he called him the troubler of Israel. And then later he called Elijah my enemy. Now he just says it straight up. I hate Micaiah. Look at verse 13. Then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him saying, Now listen, the words of the prophets with one accord encourage the king. Please let your word be like word of them, like the word of one of them and speak encouragement. And Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, that will I speak. Then he came to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gid, or shall we refrain? And he answered him, Go and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. We don't know much about this Micaiah, but obviously he was a student of Elijah. Because like Elijah, he was good at mocking the king and making fun of the false prophets. That's what he's doing. He's mocking them. Yes, king, go on. You can win. Ahab knows he's mocking him. Verse 16, he says to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but truth in the name of the Lord? Ahab basically says here, Will you quit making fun of me and just tell the truth? And then he says to the king, verse 17, I saw Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. He tells him the truth. You're going to die in battle today. Verse 18, Ahab says, Did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me but evil? And in modern English what that means is, I told you he never says anything nice about me. Then Micaiah explained about those lying spirits. He told the king plainly to his face. God's not doing this in the dark. He tells Ahab what is happening. And then what happened? Look at verse 24. Now Zedekiah, the son of Kenanah, went near and struck. Micaiah on the cheek, the false prophet beats the true prophet. Look at verse 26. So the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him with bread of affliction and water of affliction till I come in peace. Hated, slapped thrown into prison and given meager rations. That's where honesty will get you. Ask Micaiah. Ask Jesus, who, like Micaiah, was hated, struck, and imprisoned. 
and ultimately crucified. Why? He told the truth. The world hates the truth. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. We see the word of God despised. Scripture cannot be broken. Word of God despised, the Word of God or twisted, the Word of God despised. Thirdly, in this passage, we see the Word of God fulfilled. Look at verse 28. But Micaiah said, If you ever return in peace, the Lord is not spoken by me. And he said, Take heed, all you people. Now, as Micaiah goes off to prison and Ahab goes off into battle, Micaiah throws down the gauntlet. Micaiah says, you are not coming back alive. If you do, the Lord has not spoken for me. Now we see the futility, sheer futility of Ahab's thinking in verse 30. Ahab says, I will disguise myself and go into battle. But you put on your robe. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Why is he disguising himself? Is he afraid Micaiah might be right? But if Micaiah is right, he's dead. It's absurd when you really think about it. But Ahab seems to be hedging. Don't we all? Scripture tells us to repent, break off the sin. But we don't want to make a clean break, so we hedge a little bit. You know, we don't break off the sin completely, but we won't do it on Sunday. But Ahab could not hide from Jehovah. The king of Syria told his army, just take out the king of Israel. We don't need to fight the whole army. Just take out the king. First they go after Jehoshaphat, but then they realize he's not the king of Israel. Ahab's disguised. They can't see him, so they stop pursuing. Look at verse 34. Now a certain man drew a bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. So he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn around and take me out of the battle, for I am wounded. The battle increased that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians and died at evening. The blood ran out from the wound onto the floor of the chariot. Now, obviously, this passage teaches us the absolute sovereignty of God over all things. A Syrian soldier shot a bow in the air at random. Authorized version, always the best, says he shot a bow at a venture. And it went up and hit Ahab right in the chink of the arm. 
But you know what the point is? The word of God was twisted. It was despised. It was outnumbered 400 to 1. But it could not be broken. It was fulfilled. You realize that when Ahab locked up Micaiah and strutted into battle in brazen defiance of the word of God, he was doing exactly what the word said. He was fulfilling the very word he defied by his act of defiance. You know the apostle Paul said that if the rulers of this world had known what was happening, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You see, when they hated the word made flesh, Jesus Christ, when they slapped him and spat on him and nailed him to a cross, they fulfilled the plan. They fulfilled the word of God. We see scripture cannot be broken. The word of God fulfilled. The word of God twisted. The word of God despised, fulfilled, and fourthly and finally, we see the word of God uninterested. Look at verse 38. Then someone washed the chariot at a pool in Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood while the harlots bathed according to the word of the Lord which he had spoken. Now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did the ivory house which he built and all the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the king of Israel? You see the contrast between these two verses? We will go into graphic detail about dogs licking Ahab's blood and prostitutes bathing in it because it was according to the word of the Lord. You remember what Elijah had said when we studied about Naboth's vineyard? He said the dogs will lick your blood, Ahab. But look at the other side in verse 39. Yes, we will give you all the gory details about the dogs licking his blood. But what about all the other things Ahab did? What about his ivory palace and the city that he built? Are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the king of Israel? Now, you know, that's not the book of Chronicles in our Bible. That's some of the books that are no longer extant. You know what the author is saying here in verse 39? What about the palace and the cities and all Ahab did? We don't care. It doesn't matter. That's what it means. You go look that up in the minutes if you care about meaningless details like palaces and cities. Be not thou afraid when one is made rich and the glory of his house is increased. For when he dieth, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. You see, the question is not how much do you have or what have you done, the word of God is uninterested in that. The only thing that matters is how will you 
die. I don't mean will you die of a stroke or in a plane crash or a snake bite. I mean Ahab died under judgment. And finally, when all is said and done, you can die either under God's judgment or under God's grace. Scripture cannot be broken. It tells you what to do. It tells you plainly that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There was a false prophet. His name was Balaam. Balaam was a bad man. But the Lord made him speak the truth a time or two in spite of himself. And the Lord put a word in the false prophet's mouth in spite of himself. He said this, Let me die the death of the righteous and let my end be like his. That's the only thing that matters. Will you die the death of the righteous? For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. The Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. And the Scripture cannot be broken. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen.